Translation, Habakkuk, verses 1 to 13. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is anywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed. There is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. The Lord replied, Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent group of people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their characters charge far away. Like eagles, they swoop down and devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a, a desert wind, sweeping the captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone. But they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? What if I drop my hot dog in the sand? What 
you people know what you're doing? It's too hot. There's sand in my toes. There's sand in my swimsuit. There's sand in my hair. There's sand sticking to my sunscreen. The sun is too bright. The water's too cold. I draw my hot dog in the sand. I knew this was gonna happen. Ridiculous. Wait, what? We're going home already? We just got here. I don't want to go home. Home is boring. There's nothing to do there. <laughs> I knew that would never happen in your family. That's why we played it. Uh, that can't be true of any of us. Well, good morning. How good to be here today and to worship. Uh, thank you, uh, Lillian and crew from uh, Rejoice Alberta. So good to have had you today. And thanks, Margo, for reading the scripture. Uh, as uh, Margo was reading, Mark said, Oh, doesn't that sound like today? That scripture sounds right up to date. And indeed, it did, and it does. Would you stand with me for a moment? Let's pray together. Lord, we want to hear you this morning. We want to quieten our hearts before you so that your Holy Spirit can say the things that you would love to say to us. Thank you. You are such a sovereign God. You can look into every one of our hearts right now and you know, you know us, you know what we need, you know our hearts, you know our struggles, you know our pain and our joys. And thank you that you have a path for us to travel. We ask that you help us with the next step, even today, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Eli Wiesel is dead at the age of 87. He survived the Holocaust. His mother and sister died in the gas chambers in one of the camps. He was witness to this tragedy. Eli and his father were taken to another camp. He said he did everything he could to keep his dad alive because he knew that if he died as a child that his father would also die from loneliness and heartbreak and sorrow. It turned out that his father died six months later after he made the determination as a young boy to do everything he could to stay alive. And then when the war ended, Eli was only 16 years of age and of course he was set free. In 1959, or 1955, he came to New York City as a journalist 
serving uh, under the auspices of the Jerusalem Post. But he was hit by a taxi cab and spent a long time in hospital recovering. A long time. He went on to tell the stories of the Holocaust, urging the world to never let this happen again. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in, uh, in 1986 for what the Norwegian uh, Nobel Committee called his practical work in the cause of peace, atonement, and human dignity to humanity. Eli Wiesel was one of the great moral voices of our time and in many ways the conscience of the world, said Barack Obama. He raised his voice not just against uh, anti-Semitism, but against hatred, bigotry, and intolerance in all its forms. He had a number of famous quotes. I like this one the best. He wrote, if I survived, it must be for some reason. I must do something with my life. It is too serious to play games with anyone because in my place, someone else could have been saved. And so I speak for that person. On the other hand, I know I cannot. Travel back in time with me uh, about 2,600 years and you'll find another man asking the same questions as Eli Weasel. How did these things happen? What has gone wrong with the world? Why isn't God doing something? How do leaders get away with this? The man's name means to embrace or to wrestle. It's exactly what was happening in his life, in this man's life. He was wrestling. He was struggling. If God is good, then why is there evil in the world? And we probably all wrestle, and we want to register our complaint with God. Have you ever finished uh, watching the evening news with all the violence and injustice in the world and in frustration asked, why doesn't God do something about this? You've been watching the news this week, the racial divide, the recent unrest that has come to America again, the columns that have been written, what is wrong with the heart of America? We can't just pick on America. But mixed with all of the other tragedies, it is so hard for us to comprehend. So let's look at this. The prophet is distraught. Uh, come on a little road trip with me this morning. Uh, we may need to bring along a little GPS because the road is a bit of an obscure one. Um, where are we going? Uh, to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. So if you have trouble finding it in your Bible, uh, go to the Psalms. You can always find the Psalms. And then go past Isaiah and Jeremiah and go past Daniel and Ezekiel and you're getting very close. And if all fails, check the index. And if you don't want have one of these books anymore, just type it in. Starts with H. Honestly, very little is known about the prophet. He's one of the minor prophets, meaning not a small prophet, but minor prophet 
in the sense that they don't play a major, a real significant role in the life of the nation of Israel. Not like Jeremiah, not like Isaiah, not like Daniel. But truly he's a prophet worth reading. And what's so amazing about this little book is the fact that it's a conversation with God. And maybe as you're journaling these days, you're having conversations with God. This is a good historical precedent to have a conversation with God. And Habakkuk registers a complaint with God. Habakkuk has a wonderful heart for God. He has a sensitive spirit. He looks at his nation. He looks at his society. He looks at his community. And he is deeply stressed. You ever had a similar thought? And he's very honest with God. He questions God. Why do you stand back? Our land's in a mess and you don't seem to be doing anything about it. Listen to the, to the message. God, how long do I have to cry out for help before you listen? How many times do I have to yell, help, murder, police, before you come to the rescue? Why do you force me to look at evil, stare trouble in the face day after day? Anarchy and violence break out, quarrels and fights all over the place, law and order fall to pieces, justice is a joke, the wicked have the righteous hamstrung and stand justice on its head. And that's what the prophet is struggling with. In fact, he'd like to see a revival come, just like in Josiah's day. I read the story the other day of a lady who ended up in the psychiatric ward uh, in a hospital because as a little girl of six, terrible things were done to her. And the only way a little girl of six could cope with it uh, was to forget it. So she pushed it down and down and down as far as she could. And she actually forgot it. And the human mind, being the actual, the wonderful machine that it is, was able to do that. She was able to forget it for many years. So all of those memories were pushed out of her mind for years. Then she got married, went into full-time Christian service. Wonderful girl. But in the joy of the birth of her second child, with all those mechanics going on in the human body and the hormones being released that trigger all those things in our bodies and our brains, all those memories began to surface. They came back. And now she's been nine months under therapy. Her friend called her the other day to say, just as she was about to be released from the hospital, and said, uh, I want to ask you one question. What is your picture of God at this point? How can I pray for you? Because I want to know that. I want to know. What's your picture of God? She said, my picture of God, Jill, at this moment is that he's standing there with his hands in his pockets. That's my picture of God. So the problem of unanswered prayer is high on the prophet's heart as well. He's not doing anything. He's not doing anything. Life is full of all kinds of hard things that none of us have an answer for. Perhaps you lost your job because a person had it in for you and they misrepresented you. Maybe you were misdiagnosed in your medical situation. Years ago, we were very close to a couple when she was diagnosed with cancer. 
But two years before she went to the doctor, she thought something was wrong, but they missed it. They said there was no cancer. We stood at the graveside service, our hearts reeling that she was so quickly gone. And her husband was stoic, no emotion. The rest of us were losing it at the graveside, and he was stoic. I asked him, how are you doing? He was angry. He said, I'm grieved out. No more tears. I think he might have said, it feels like God has his hands in his pocket. Maybe you've experienced some great disappointment. Verse 2, he asks, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? But the Lord answers the cry of Habakkuk in verse 5. God says, I'm doing something in your day. You wouldn't believe it if you were told. Habakkuk says, Well, God, what are you doing? I can't see that you're doing anything. Give me your game plan. They're pretty honest. God answers him, this is my game plan. You wouldn't believe it if I told you. Habakkuk says, well, just try me. God says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. You're what? I'm raising up the Babylonians. You're what? Why are you raising up the Babylonians? To bring the nation of Israel back to God. To stop the injustice. To stop the violence. To bring people back into to a relationship. What? You're raising up the Babylonians to do that? God? This is overwhelming for Habakkuk. Lord, you're bringing the Babylonians upon us to correct us? We are wicked, but God, they are more wicked than we could ever be. How can you use something that is more wicked to clean up our land which is less wicked? Now, let me just say this, that probably all of us, sometime in our journey, uh, and probably for many of us, lots of times in our journey, we are asking the question, God, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? What's your dream for me? What's your vision for my life? I want to walk with you. I want to walk with you. I want to have a life that's significant. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to live my whole life and miss it. And Habakkuk makes the best decision of his whole ministry in the first verse of chapter 2. And this is such a powerful lesson for all of us, especially those of us who are activists and love to charge ahead. So if you're tired this morning and you want to nod off, just give me one more minute, would you? This next minute is critical. So please catch this next part. He's complained. He's been frustrated. He's been experiencing that God's not doing anything. And now how am I going to respond to that? What is he going to do? He decides, here it is, to lay back. He decides to lay back. He decides to process what he's heard. He decides not to overreact. He determines in his heart that he needs to wait upon God 
and really hear what God is saying. Boy, is that important for us. That's the heartbeat of this little book. It's not very long, but it's the heartbeat. Can you find a spot in your heart where this advice might fit? Hmm. Secondly, the prophet gets a grip. He's distraught, and now he gets a grip. Have you ever asked some of the questions that Habakkuk is asking? Why is this happening? How long is this going to take? Why do I have to put up with this? Then in chapter 2, he just stops. He puts everything on hold and basically he says, I'm going to wait for your vision. I'm going to try to hear what God is saying. What do you need to wait upon God for? Is there anything these days? Are you wondering about next steps? Are you thinking about next steps in education? Or getting married? Or maybe wondering about your children? Maybe contemplating a different vocation? And I need to have God's dream. I need to have God's vision for what is ahead. Maybe you're just plain struck in a rut. And you just don't even know where life is taking you. I just find myself drifting along with the current. When we face challenges, we have options to somehow get sidelined, to stop connecting with the other followers of Christ, to kind of isolate ourselves, to conclude that God doesn't care and he has his hands in his pocket. But I want you to see what Habakkuk does. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I will climb up to my watchtower and I will stand at my guard post And there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, write my answers plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. A couple of things here. Now, when you want to hear the voice of God for your life, you ready? When you want to hear the voice of God for your life, first, there is a heart to hear. The prophet has a heart. He has a desire. He has a longing to know what God wants. So he says, I will climb up to my watchtower. I will. I want to know God's dream for my life. I don't want to take my three score and ten and just be living it for myself. So it starts with a heart to know God's vision for my life. We probably won't hear his voice if we're we're not wanting to hear it or if we're fighting it or if we're debating it. And it's just marvelous that Habakkuk simply backed off and he said, okay, I want to hear from God. God doesn't tell you what what he is putting on your heart and, and why he's put you on this earth just so you can choose to say, I don't know. Let me think about that. Let me think about that, God. I've got to know why I'm on this earth. I've got to know what you want me to do in the next step of my life. I've got to know. I've got to hear your voice. I've got to have your vision. That's such an important starting point, to have a heart, to have a will, to really hear God. And you know what's excited my heart this week? 
to, to hear the dreams and the questions and the pondering of those who believe they're hearing God for next steps. There are people um, that I've been talking to that just, just think, what's the next step for me? I'm open. I'm really open to whatever God is saying, wondering, Lord, what do you have for me? I'm feeling something. I don't know where it is. I don't know where you're taking me. Really, you would choose me. I could be used of God in this area. I hadn't considered it before. Have you thought about how God is directing you to your vocation? Or your next vocation, perhaps? Or some to full-time Christian ministry? Or some to global ministry context? Because God is speaking to us. And he may be just needing to hear his voice to say, Ah! Glad you said that because it's on my heart. It's on my mind. So first, I have a heart to really hear God. Secondly, a place of quietness. A place of quietness. The prophet says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post, which would be a place of quietness. Just a quick pause here. Uh, a watchtower was often built in a grain field or a vineyard to provide a a guard, a place to keep an eye on the harvest just to see that there weren't anybody coming in to try to wreck the harvest or steal the harvest. Or it could be in the city for watching for an approaching enemy. This is a, this is a busy, noisy world. And it's hard to hear God when our engines are revved. You might have had a crazy week, busy, busy week. As Lillian said, maybe the hardest week of her life. And, and how do you hear God when you're, when you're stressed? And how do you hear God when you're going so fast? The model you find in Habakkuk will put you and me in a good place for the rest of our lives. Because this can become a daily posture. We will find so much value in getting alone with God on a regular basis to listen, to hear what God is saying to us. But is it ever challenging to find a place of quietness? For one thing, just the busyness of our lives. And then secondly, the discipline, the regular discipline. If you do find a place that's quiet, then you still have to have the discipline. There's that necessarily necessary daily discipline to be alone with God. You got to get alone, and you got to get quiet, and we call this a quiet time, <laughs> a place of quietness. Jesus said it in Matthew 6, 6, find a quiet, secu secluded place so you won't be tempted to uh, the other role, role play before God. Uh, just be there as simply and honestly as you can, ma as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense His grace. Find a place of quietness. Thirdly, wait. Habakkuk writes, There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how He will answer my complaint. In the first part of the verse, he says, I will stand at the guard post, or I will station myself, like a guard, like a guard at Buckingham Palace. Dallas Willard he comments, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. 
ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. But is that ever hard to do? Have you noticed? But Isaiah gives us a good reminder. He says that when we feel depleted of energy, we can get it back when we wait on God. Those who wait on the Lord will renew, will gradually renew their strength. I love that. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And it comes from waiting, the very thing that's hard for us to do. Why do I forget that so much? How are we to wait? Well, first, in waiting on God, you wait quietly. Psalm 62, I wait quietly before God. My hope is in Him. So just slow down. Secondly, wait patiently. Psalm 37, 7, be still. Don't move. In the presence of the Lord, wait patiently for Him to act. When you're quiet and your heart is open and sensitive, you're going to hear God in a way that you've never heard Him before. You're going to hear Him in a way that's, that's unique and different from the rush of life. Three, wait expectantly. Psalm 105, I wait expectantly, trusting God to help, for He has promised. This is the place of faith as we're quiet. We just trust Him to speak to us. We just trust Him to speak into our hearts what we need. Some days you'll hear Him more clearly, but we come expectantly. We come believing that He wants to speak. Aren't those interesting words, by the way? There I will wait to see what the Lord says. Chapter 2, verse 1. I don't know how big a deal to make of this, but my heart kind of raced when I saw that sentence. We might have expected it to read, there I will wait to listen to what the Lord says, but he says, I will wait to see. I will wait to see what he says. Now, it's kind of cool for me to think about that, All this, though uh, this is what I think we experience. Uh, I hadn't really processed it that way. I don't hear the audible voice of God when I wait upon Him, but I do begin to have the visuals. And God's voice is usually visual for, for most of us because we get an idea. We see a vision in our head. We get an idea in our head. We have pictures all over the place. And wow, isn't it true? You can't make a move in this world and, and somebody's got a camera and somebody's got a picture and somebody's got a video and you thought, well, nobody ever saw that. There's a video of it. Lots of pictures. A picture is worth a thousand words. And the Bible is filled with many, many examples of people getting God's dream, God's vision in their mind. People like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and all of those people and Peter and Paul and tons of others. These are people who got visions from God. Not a, not a crazy weirdo kind of thing. It's just a picture from God. And God uses a mental picture to clarify where he wants you to go in the next step. So when you're praying, just anticipate that you're going to get a picture in your mind. It might be an idea. It's going to come in different forms and just recognize it because that's God speaking to you. 
My experience of waiting before the Lord is having my eyes open to what God is doing, and there are times when I see the picture, it might be the bigger picture, like a directional picture. It might relate to a next step. It might be an idea. And it usually it makes me very excited about the future. My heart just kind of fills up, and I can hardly contain it. I say, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. That's, Lord, that's you. Some of us are probably visual thinkers. We immediately put things into the context. You have to draw something to say, does that make sense? And you draw it this way so you, you get it. But not everybody is that way. Some people are really wired to words and they love to read and read and read and they get the picture through a lot of words. And they're audible listeners. And of course, I really want to say the best place to get the picture is through the Word of God. Primarily, we sort through God's direction for our lives in Scripture, but it may be that as you're waiting and as you're reading Scripture, you will have promptings and pictures and ideas that come to your heart and your mind. And God clarifies for you what you're reading. Anybody who has uh, made a habit of reading the Word of God regularly knows how God gives us pictures through the Scriptures. There's a wonderful song that says, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory, pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. And it's like God gives us a revelation or an understanding of some of the things that he wants to show us. There's one more step that's so helpful. Uh, write it down, what you hear. Record it in your journal or wherever. Record the ideas that you receive so you can go back at a later point and say, this is what I heard God saying. I heard God saying this a year ago. I heard God saying this two years ago. And I heard him saying it again yesterday. Record the ideas that you receive. Listen to this from the message. And then God answered, write this. Write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait. And it doesn't lie. It seems, if it seems slow in coming, wait. If it seems slow in coming, wait. There's a good one for us. It's on the way. It will come right on time. I enjoy journaling. I don't do it every day, but most days. But I started journaling 30 years ago. I have to say, it's been helpful to process a lot of things in my life. And to hear the voice of God. In times of crisis, I've cried out to the Lord and said, God, I don't, I don't get this. And in times of joy, my heart's been filled with praise. It's been a blessing to, to write it down, complaints included. God can handle everything we throw at him. He's just glad that, we, that we've come. And if you feel like your prayer life has gotten a little bit stale, try writing out your prayers. It slows you down. It slows you down. 
So you can't just say, in three minutes, I'm out the door. It slows you down, but it keeps you fresh. It keeps you from praying the same prayer every day. Helps keep the freshness and the vitality in that relationship. Habakkuk wrote it down. And that's why we have his beautiful three chapters in the Bible. We have a lot to learn from his journal. So what's burning in your heart these days? What do you feel like complaining to God about? Do you feel like God hasn't treated you well? What do you do with the stuff in your heart that you're carrying? You could storm against God and others, or you could say, I have a heart to know what God wants in my life. What he wants of me. I have a heart to know. And that will prompt me to, to move to a place of quietness. Quietness is, is key, regardless of how accustomed we have become to noise and movement. Recognize how difficult it is to hear when the RPMs are revved up too high. God, for whatever reason, speaks in quietness. Be still, he says, and know that I am God. So he calls us to slow down. But there is a time, even in the pace of life, that you'll hear his voice when you're going a thousand miles an hour. It's true, you'll hear his voice then too. But as a rule, he says, slow down so you can hear me. And then move into the place of waiting, practicing the fine art of waiting, waiting quietly, waiting patiently, waiting expectantly. And then to capture what God is saying, journal. Journaling is important. It's new to many, but very deserving of our time and attention. Listen to what God is saying and write it down, write it down. It will amaze you at how God speaks. And when you slow the pace and you wait upon him and you write it down, you will hear what he's saying in your life. To God be the glory. Amen. Let's stand together. Lord, you are the faithful one. We come to you and we pour out our hearts. We pour out our hearts. Sometimes you find us complaining. Sometimes you find us rejoicing. Oftentimes you find us confused. But we hear your spirit this morning speaking to us. We hear you calling us to wait and to be quiet and to listen to see what you are saying to us. Lord, some of us here just really need what you're saying, so we just take it in. We just receive it this morning, and we thank you for what you're doing. Uh, we know that you actively care for us uh, when we don't see it and we don't understand. We know that you're active in the life of the body here, we know you care for Ken and Carol Corbett as they wait upon you and as they listen for you in these days and they look to you for grace and strength as Carol fights this huge battle with cancer. Lord, we know you're with Steve Lee's mom as she's uh, recovering in hospital. And what a sudden challenge uh, physically has come to her life and God, we just pray for a strengthening of her heart and a strengthening of her body and her mind. 
as she recovers. We know you're with Arno's father as he too fights this tumor discovered on the liver. Lord, may they see you clearly as they wait. Lord, and we rejoice in the birth of Hunter, Barry and Diane's little grandson just born a couple days ago. Lord, you healed him all these months of expecting a medical issue at birth, and when he's born, it's not there. And today we just say thank you for that. We rejoice in the birth of little Elizabeth, daughter to Steve and Natalie. And what a gift of your grace, Lord. What a gift, and we rejoice in that. And we hear your kindness through this, her safe arrival. Lord, you're an awesome God. So many ways. We want to just say thank you. Continue to speak to us as we open our hearts to you day by day by day that we might be called the children of God. Amen.